Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of, one that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com with the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Why would a man without a lottery ticket shoot himself after hearing the winning numbers? Who is the most disappointed person at the Olympics? And what does this have to do with Pan American Airlines or Botox? And why should you always put yourself in the shoes of future people? Welcome to Inner Cosmos with me, David Eagleman. I'm a neuroscientist and an author at Stanford. And in these episodes, we sail deeply into our three-pound universe to understand why and how our lives look the way they do. Today's episode is about mental time travel. Now, we've done two episodes in the past two weeks on time traveling. I started with the concept of memory, which is our way of unhooking from the here and now and putting ourselves into past time points. And in order to do this, you need this whole network of brain areas that are involved in situating you not in the world that's right in front of you, but a remembered world. This network allows you to re-simulate what the spatial layout was, who was there, what your emotions were, sounds and smells. All of this is run like a simulation. And Nobody else can see it. It takes place entirely in the privacy of your own skull. Then last week, I talked about the other direction of time travel, imagining possible futures. Simulation of what could happen next is one of the most important jobs of brains. We plan out what we're going to say what we're going to do, how we're going to act in a situation, what might happen to us, and on and on. And as a reminder about a couple important points I made throughout those episodes, point one was that we spend most of our time as humans disconnected from the here and now and playing these little movies in our heads where reminiscing on the past or we're simulating the future. And point two is it turns out to actually be the same core network of brain areas that's involved, both in memory and in simulation of the future. If a person gets damaged to a particular part of their brain, like the hippocampus, they can get amnesia, meaning that they can't remember anything about their past, and they also end up unable to simulate possible futures. If you ask them to imagine standing in the shopping mall in an hour from now, they just draw a blank. They can't 
put a simulation together. They're not seeing a little movie in their heads. So memory and future imagination use the same brain mechanisms. They are both versions of simulation. So I used to think that who you are is the sum total of your memories, but it's even more interesting than that because I would argue now that who you are includes the sum total of your future simulations. If you're a person who envisions big goals for yourself, that makes you a bit different from someone who has pedestrian goals. Now, from the outside, you don't know what a person is simulating on the inside. You see someone sitting at the restaurant booth next to you, sipping on their coffee, and you don't know if they're thinking deeply about their path to a Nobel Prize Or instead, they're just thinking about wanting a bag of chips at the local gas station. In the same way that we don't act out our dreams when we're asleep, we can dream of the past and future without execution by the awake body. So now we're all set up for today's episode. And this one involves a hypothesis that I've been working on for years. And to get going... I'm going to start with a small event that happened in Liverpool, England in 1995, when a man was listening to the radio. So this man had a wife and two children, and he was listening to the lottery numbers being read out. Now, he did not have a lottery ticket, but he listened to the first number and he was transfixed. Now the second number was announced, and then the third and the fourth, and he was frozen. And after the sixth number got read out, he went and got down his gun and he shot himself. Six numbers that translated to his suicide, even though he didn't have a lottery ticket. Were the numbers some sort of code? What exactly had happened? We'll return to Tim's story in a moment. First, I want to tell you about facial muscles. So just over 160 years ago, a French neurologist named Guillaume Duchesne studied lots of patients, and he's immortalized in the names of diseases like Duchenne's muscular dystrophy and several others. But somewhat less known about him is that he was obsessed with using electrodes to send zaps of electricity into facial muscles to characterize how facial expressions got made. And what he realized is that when a person smiles, it's caused by the contraction of just two very particular muscles of the face. Around the mouth, there's a muscle called the zygomaticus major, which raises the corners of the mouth and draws it back. And the muscles around the eye, called the orbicularis oculi, raise the cheeks and send out crow's feet around the eyes. And so when your mouth and eyes smile at the same time, this is called smizing or smiling with the eyes. And this is described as the Duchenne smile. But why does this have a special name? Because people eventually realized that this only happens when someone is genuinely happy. But there's another way that people sometimes smile when they're not actually happy. And this is known as a non-Duchenne smile. And it involves only the zygomaticus major muscle around the mouth. And nothing goes on around the eyes. Now, as it turns out, several groups have researched smiles, which sounds like a really fun job. And the conclusion is that the eye muscles are only involved when someone is actually happy. In other words, the Duchenne smile only occurs when there is genuine positive emotion. People have long noticed the non-Duchenne smile, and for a long time this was popularly called the Pan Am smile, after the airliner where the flight stewardesses apparently gave this same non-smizing smile to everyone all the time because they weren't genuinely happy. Also, Botox can paralyze the small muscles around the eye, which means that people with Botox sometimes just can't pull off a smiling-with-the-eyes Duchenne smile. And so a non-Duchenne smile is sometimes called a Botox smile as well. Okay, I tell you all that, because of an observation that has been replicated multiple times, and that involves the question, who is happiest when they receive an Olympic medal? 
Now, it seems like the answer is obvious. The gold medalist is the most happy, the silver medalist is the next happiest, and the bronze medalist is the least happy. But that's not what researchers find. Instead, they find that the gold and bronze medalists are the most happy, and the silver medalist is the least happy. For example, one study examined photographs from 84 medalists from the 2004 Athens Olympics. And they found that at the medal ceremony, the gold and bronze medalists tended to have Duchenne smiles, while the silver medalists tended to have non-Duchenne smiles. In other words, the silver medalists weren't really smiling joyfully. And this was actually an extension of a study that had been done a decade earlier when three researchers gathered footage from the medal ceremonies of the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona. And they got a bunch of undergraduates to rate the happiness of each medalist from 1 to 10, where 1 was agony and 10 was ecstasy. At the ceremonies where they are given the medals, the silver medalists scored an average of 4.3 on this happiness scale, while the bronze medalists scored a 5.7. The bronze medalists were happier, and it was obvious to everyone with the naked eye. Now, this is weird, right? How could the second-place winners be less happy than the third-place winners? So let's unpack what's happening here. Why would a man commit suicide after hearing the lottery numbers? And why would a silver medalist be more disappointed than a bronze medalist? The key is what is known as counterfactual thinking. The brain doesn't just run simulations forwards and backwards but it can step back to past time points and crank things forward to see what could have been now. In other words, this is not a simulation of the future, but instead a simulation of the present from a previous time point. This is called counterfactual thinking because the now that gets simulated is not factual. It's the brain's own construction, its own internal creation. But we can imagine present moments that might have been. Now, why did the man in Liverpool shoot himself after hearing the lottery numbers? It was because he had been playing those exact numbers every week for five weeks, that sequence of six numbers. But this week, he hadn't bought the ticket. As he listened to the numbers being read out, he thought, those were my numbers. He envisioned the ways that his life could have changed if he had just bought that ticket. His present would be different. He could immediately plug into a past time point and crank the machinery forward to a potential now, a now that didn't happen. And the comparison of that now to the present was overwhelming to him. He thought about his potential now, the one he had missed. He pictured having an ability to pay those bills, to finish off his mortgage, to beat the financial struggles that he was facing. And he was haunted by this now that wasn't real, that was counterfactual, but that could have been. It felt so distant from where he was in reality. Everything would be different if he had just bought that ticket. He was filled with regret, a regret so strong that he chose to end his life. Now, I suggest we can understand regret from a computational point of view. In other words, an algorithm that the brain runs. The key is that for most situations, the emotion of regret acts as a learning signal. That means your brain readjusts itself based on that signal. So if you get mad at someone and say something mean, and then that person stops talking with you, you might feel regret about what you've done to that relationship. Because in the present moment, you have lost a friendship and your brain runs the simulation from that past time point moving forward in which it constructs a scenario where you didn't say or do that offensive thing and you're still friends. 
and you compare your actual present, which is uncomfortable and bad, to your simulated present in which everything is warm and close, and the difference generates a signal of regret. And your brain uses that signal to learn on, to hopefully improve its performance next time. Here's another example. Kids are always saying no to things that their parents want them to do. And parents, when they are thoughtful about this, will let this kind of learning signal do its own work. So the parent says, hey, it's freezing outside, put on your jacket. And the kid says, I don't want to wear a jacket, I'm not going to do it. So after some push and shove, the right thing for the parent to do is say, fine, don't do it. There will be natural consequences. So the kid goes out and after a while finds that he's really cold and uncomfortable. So he now has this learning signal that tells him, had I taken the jacket, my now would be different. I would be warm. And the regret that they feel navigates their future behavior. I saw a quotation from the author Kurt Vonnegut who wrote, Of all the words of mice and men, the saddest are it might have been. But I slightly disagree. I would rephrase it. Of all the thoughts of mice and men, the most important are it might have been. Regret is a way for us to build different nows moving forward. Now, note that in some circumstances, you might take a past time point and crank that forward, and that imagined now, your counterfactual now, is actually worse than your real now. And in that case, you experience a different emotion, relief. This is what happens if you're considering investing in some stock and then you don't get around to it and then you find out the company went out of business and the investors lost all their money on it. Your present now is better than it would have been. So you feel relief at the path that you took versus what you might have done. Or to return to the weather, imagine that you go for a day hike and then it rains unexpectedly and you know you don't have an umbrella in your car, but you search around in the trunk of your car anyway, and then you find one and you feel relief. And again, this can be a learning signal because it tells your brain, hey, this was a fortunate accident, but you can make this happen more purposefully from now on. So let's return to the Olympic medalists. Why is there the happiness difference between the silver and the bronze medalist, where the silver medalist is less happy? It's because the silver medalist almost got gold but missed. He or she is running the simulation over and over of how things could have gone. And in those imagined scenarios, they're the ones standing on the top platform and getting wreathed with gold. The bronze medalist, in contrast, is just happy to be there. They know they're not good enough for gold or silver, and they can imagine plenty of scenarios where they're not on the platform at all. So the silver medalist's now is worse than his other imaginary nows, while the bronze holder's now is better than most of his imagined scenarios. Now, interestingly, this general observation about second-place winners is not new. In 1892, the great American psychologist William James touched on this. He wrote, quote, So we have the paradox of a man shamed to death because he is only the second pugilist or the second oarsman in the world. That he is able to beat the whole population of the globe minus one is nothing, end quote. So the second place winner is so close to a victory that could have been, and that is a more painful place to be. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? 
we're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. So this is mental time travel, but it's not from now to the past, which is memory, as I talked about two episodes ago. And it's not from now to the future, which is prediction, which I talked about in the last episode. But instead, this is starting from past time points and simulating forward to what could have been right now. Now, I want to make a point that I'll return to at the end, which is that as you simulate yourself for all these different time points, this allows you to see different possibilities about who you could have been. And so in this sense, you're used to thinking about different yous, different versions of yourself that might have existed. So before we dive deeper into the science, we're going to take a moment to dive into the literature. I'm going to read a story from my book of short stories, Some. This story is called Subjunctive. In the afterlife, you are judged not against other people, but against yourself. Specifically, you are judged against what you could have been. So the afterworld is much like the present world, but it now includes all the yous that could have been. In an elevator, you might find more successful versions of yourself, perhaps the you that chose to leave your hometown three years earlier or the you that happened to board an airplane next to a company president who then hired you. As you meet these yous, you experience a pride of the sort you feel for a successful cousin. Although the accomplishments don't directly belong to you, it somehow feels close. But soon 
you fall victim to intimidation. These yous are not really you. They are better than you. They made smarter choices, worked harder, invested the extra effort into pushing on closed doors. These doors eventually broke open for them and allowed their lives to splash out in colorful new directions. Such success can't be explained away by a better genetic hand. Instead, they played your cards better. In their parallel lives, they made better decisions, avoided moral lapses, did not give up on love so easily. They worked harder than you did to correct their mistakes and apologized more often. Eventually, you cannot stand hanging around these better yous. You discover you've never felt more competitive with anyone in your life. You try to mingle with the lesser yous, but it doesn't assuage the sting. In truth, you have little sympathy for these less significant yous and more than a little haughtiness about their indolence. If you had quit watching TV and gotten off the couch, you wouldn't be in this situation, you tell them, when you bother to interact with them at all. But the better yous are always in your face in the afterlife. In the bookstore, you'll see one of them arm in arm with the affectionate woman who you let slip away. Another you is browsing the shelves, running his fingers over the book he actually finished writing. And look at this one jogging past outside. He's got a much better body than yours, thanks to a consistency at the gym that you never kept up. Eventually, you sink into a defensive posture, seeking reasons why you wouldn't want to be so well-behaved and virtuous in any case. You grudgingly befriend some of the lesser yous and go drinking with them. Even at the bar, you see the better yous buying rounds for their friends, celebrating their latest good choice. And thus, your punishment is cleverly and automatically regulated in the afterlife. The more you fall short of your potential, the more of these annoying selves you are forced to deal with. So that's the sense in which our constant time travel generates lots of different versions of who we could be. And presumably, there's no afterlife where we meet them. But nonetheless, different yous exist right now, trapped in the boundaries of your skull. Now, I'll mention one interesting note about regret, one that's been noticed by psychologists and economists. And I'm going to tell you this just in case you decide to open a restaurant. Don't have too many choices on the menu, because when there are too many choices, customers feel higher levels of regret after the meal is over. How do we understand this? Well, you can only choose one thing for your main meal. If there were lots of choices on the menu, then your brain keeps running simulations of, oh, I would have gotten this, and this is what the experience could have been like, or I could have gotten that, or I could have gotten that. More choices lead to more regret afterward. So compare going to the Cheesecake Factory, which has a 12-page menu spilling over with choices, versus you go to In-N-Out Burger, whose menu reads hamburger, cheeseburger, fries. So when you're done with an In-N-Out Burger meal, you don't really have much of anything to compare for what could have been. But after a Cheesecake Factory meal, your brain unconsciously churns on all the choices that it didn't take. And it might conclude, correctly or incorrectly, that one of those other choices would have been better. And then you feel slightly less happy about the choice you made. So here's where we are so far. Regret is an emotion that accompanies negative outcomes to decisions for which we've been responsible. But it turns out, since we are creatures who are so good at moving around in time mentally, we come to operate and make decisions based on anticipated regret. That is, we come to anticipate the emotional consequences of decisions we're making now. So imagine you're facing two choices, let's say, which new job to take. And one of them is a really risky startup with big dreams about where they'll go. And the other is a well-established company that's a little boring, but very stable. So a lot of people will gravitate toward 
the stable choice. And you might think, fine, I get it, they're avoiding risk, but there's a slightly richer way to view this, which is that they're avoiding anticipated regret. If one of the choices is risky and the other certain, and the startup goes out of business, you'll feel bad that you took such a big risk. But if the stable company were to go out of business, you wouldn't feel much regret because that was an unforeseen possibility. You had made the right choice by placing your chips on something that was unlikely to fail. So the simulation of the future generally drives people to choose the safer choice, to avoid the possibility of feeling the really bad feelings later. This is also suggested to be why you will buy a brand that you know, even if it's more expensive, over a brand that you don't know that's less expensive. Even though it's a better deal to take the unknown brand, for many people it feels worth it to spend the extra money because they anticipate they will have more regret if the unknown brand ends up being a bad choice. And this comes up in a thousand ways in our lives. Anticipated regret is what gets you to buy something that's on sale now instead of waiting for maybe a better sale later because you're afraid that the sale won't last. And then you'll think, oh man, I could have had that for 10% off, but I waited and I missed my chance. It's not that you're experiencing regret now, it's that you're anticipating that you will feel regret in the future. And so that steers your behavior now. And this is, of course, what high-pressure car salesmen try to do when they say, I'll give you this special discount, but it only applies right now. The second you walk off this car lot, the offer goes away forever. So you simulate how you would feel if you lost this offer that's being dangled in front of you right now. The anticipation of that regret spurs you into action so you won't have to feel bad later. So your brain simulates futures and it feels them. And often that includes questions like, how bad will I feel if I lose this gamble? You don't just minimize risk, you minimize the regret that you expect to feel. But anticipated regret isn't just about avoiding risk. Sometimes you can leverage the issue of anticipation to improve your decision-making. So when I was younger, if I was having a hard time making a decision between two choices, my mother would tell me to toss a coin. Heads meant that I would take the first choice and tails meant I would take the second choice. But the coin toss wasn't the thing. The key, she told me, was to toss the coin and see the result and then see how that result felt in my gut. When you see which choice gets indicated by the coin, you might feel a tiny bit of relief. Well, I'm glad it landed that way. Or you might feel instead a tinge of regret. And the second that that regret bubbles up, then you know that the other choice is the better one for you. And here's another example. Let's return to the issue of getting a kid to wear a jacket in the snow. When the parent says, look, it's natural consequences. That's one way to teach the kid. But really what they're hoping for is that the anticipated regret will be enough. The kid will think about how things might feel in the future when they are shivering miserably, and that anticipated regret will be sufficient to force their hand to make the right choice now. And before we move on, I'll just mention an interesting tangent here, which is that people with psychopathy, psychopaths, generally have much lower anxiety than the general population. Why? It's because one of the characteristics of psychopathy is an inability to simulate possible futures. So just as an example, if I hook up electrodes to your tongue and then I say, okay, I'm hooking the other end to this car battery and you're going to get this terrible shock on your tongue, you will probably feel a lot of trepidation and anxiety and maybe break a sweat. But that's not what happens to somebody who is a psychopath. They just don't care. They don't get sweaty and anxious. And it's not because they're tougher than you. It's simply because their brains don't simulate the future very well. 
Now, I'm going to do a whole episode on psychopaths in the near future. So if you're interested in this and what else is going on in psychopathy, please tune in for that one. But for now, I'm going to get back to normal brains. Given the fact that we simulate futures and understand how we might feel in those futures, there's an interesting trick that we can use to improve our own decision-making. And that is to put ourselves in the shoes of future people looking back at us. Why? Because this gives us a very good way to ethically steer our own behavior. The world is full of temptations, and some of them aren't that big a deal, but some of them are worth resisting. And one way you can do this is to imagine looking back on your choice from some future point when you see how all of this played out. A friend of mine refers to this as the concept of book, bell, and candle, which means something very particular in the spy world. But what he meant was, whatever you're considering doing, imagine how you would feel about this if it were written down in a book that everyone could read, or your action causes a bell to ring such that everyone's attention turns to what you did, or a candle lights up the hidden thing you did. How would you feel if everybody could see that you've done it? The point is to put yourself in the future and imagine retrospectively that you have been caught. How would that make you feel? There are many ways of placing yourself in the future and looking back. A colleague of mine is an epidemiologist named Gary Slutkin, and many years ago, he started working with gangs in Chicago to see if he could reduce the violence. Now, there are many ways of thinking about intervening to reduce violence, including tougher laws or longer prison sentences, but Gary started thinking about this differently. He noticed, for example, that these gang members don't act badly in front of their grandmothers, but they do in front of their peers. And so they're clearly able to assess a situation from different points of view. So he had an amazing idea, which was to employ former gang members who had previously been incarcerated and who wanted to reduce the violence in their own neighborhood. And they came on board as what he called the interrupters. And the idea was for them to change a gang member's behavior in the moment by making them think about the future. So he got the interrupters to intervene when, say, a gang member felt he'd been wronged and he wanted to go and exact revenge. And the interrupter would say something like, hey, think about this for a minute. When you go to jail for shooting that guy, who's going to be with your girl? Gary and most people think about this as reframing. But in the context of this episode, I'm casting this as anticipated regret. And this kind of time travel, imagining yourself in jail and someone else being with your girlfriend, was very effective in steering people's behavior. It forced people to time travel to a what-if moment that otherwise they would not have visited. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City 
Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Now, interestingly, I want to clarify that our feelings of anticipated regret are not always a perfect steering mechanism for us because we often assume that our near future counterfactuals are going to be more appealing than they actually turn out to be in reality. In other words, the grass always seems greener on the other side of the temporal fence. So what does this have to do with civil wars or why the Balkan nations split off or why the Arab Emirates came together or why England split off from the European Union? So let me answer that by going back to one of the great classical novels of Chinese literature. It's a 14th century novel whose title translates to Romance of the Three Kingdoms. And this novel spends 800,000 words dealing with the battles and plots, both personal and military, of different people and groups trying to achieve dominance for almost a century. It's like Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones and without the dragons. Anyhow, the key thing I want to note is the opening lines, which I've always found shockingly insightful. The opening lines go like this. The empire long divided must unite. Long united must divide. Thus has it ever been. In other words, the prediction here is that all unified countries are eventually going to decide it's better to split up. And all divided countries will eventually decide it's better to link arms into a union. This is something that characterizes world history. But why does it happen? Well, there may be lots of reasons, including economic factors and agricultural factors and political expediency, but I'm going to suggest there's a neural factor too. And that has to do with people running the counterfactuals. What would it be like if we were together? Wouldn't that be terrific? Or we're all tangled up in each other's business. Wouldn't things be better if we were independent? And my assertion is that we have a slight bias for concluding that it would be better whichever way we haven't experienced. Why? Well, it's because we're not 
perfect simulators. And so we believe that the low resolution simulation in our heads is actually a good one, even though it lacks all the blemishes of reality. So we believe that everyone will be happy and get along. And wouldn't it be great if we were unified? Or wouldn't it be great if we were finally separated? And we compare our sanitized simulation against reality. This is the same thing, of course, with relationships. When we're young and single, we continually fantasize about a partner that we're going to meet. The partner always says the right thing, always makes us feel great, never has something on his or her mind that causes distractions so that they don't actually listen to you. But real life is always more complex, for worse and for better, than our imaginations can simulate. So now on to the last act. We've been seeing so far in all these episodes that we are creatures who mentally travel to different points in time. We constantly simulate ourselves in the past for memory or simulate ourselves in the future to steer decision-making, or we simulate possible nows to understand what we should have done better. And this kind of time traveling, if we do it intelligently, can allow us to steer our lives a bit better than we otherwise might. For example, as we get better at thinking about and interacting with all these different temporal versions of ourselves, we can actively cultivate our ability to simulate these well. And this is what we get out of visualization, out of actively putting ourselves in a detailed future simulation. So here's an example. I recently met a new friend named Brian Burke, who's an LA filmmaker. And he'll ask people, hey, do you want to be a film director? It's not that hard. And the person might say, genuinely, I don't think I could ever do that. And he says, look, here's all you need to do to become a film director. You write a 10-minute script, and then you get your cell phone camera and a couple friends to shoot it, and then you do all the editing. And he says, it'll suck for sure. So then you do it again. You write a new script, and you shoot it again on your cell phone, and you edit it again. And it'll probably still suck. And then you do that a third time. And you find you're getting a little bit better at this. And then he says, at the end of that, you'll be as good as most of the directors in Los Angeles. And this simple technique of walking somebody in detail through a future, this really moves and inspires people, especially people for whom it had never even struck them that they could possibly think of being a film director. In their internal model, they have a job and they're doing fine at that. And they've never meaningfully considered film directing. That's a totally foreign thing that other people do. But all it takes is someone doing them the favor of walking them through some steps in the imagination, what it would take to get there. And suddenly they see that it's not impossible. And this is why visualization of possible futures is so meaningful. It fleshes out what the path can look like when someone sees the path clearly, then it doesn't seem so hard to get started. And visualization or imagination, this can also steer your behavior away from certain things that you don't want to do, again, by making them feel real. A colleague of mine named Jack Keen started an app to get seniors to exercise, and the idea is to use AI to show the person a picture of themselves If they do, and if they don't exercise, they see their body in good shape or not in good shape. And once it's something they can picture, then it is more real. And there are lower resolution versions of this. For example, in episode nine, I outlined some ways that we can get good at navigating our future behavior. And one example I mentioned is for people who are trying to lose weight. You have them find a picture of themselves where they look more overweight than they would like to. And you get them to stick that picture on the fridge. And that way, every time they go to the fridge to graze, that picture reminds them of what they want to accomplish. And it does so by allowing them to see right in front of them their future if they don't modify their behavior. And getting people to think about possible futures, good and bad, this is what coaching is about. Sports coaching or life coaching, 
A coach's job is to expand your model of what's possible and to move you through the next steps and get your aim straight on who you could be. Generally, being able to visualize something makes it like a prediction that you can chase after or defend against or prepare for or whatever. It refines the simulation and makes it feel more real. So, wrapping up the past three episodes, who you are is the sum total of layered timescales. When you walk down the street, you look to other people like you're just a person walking down the street, but your brain is colorful and alive with reminiscence of your past, simulations of a variety of possible futures, and all your regrets and reliefs that result from simulations of hypothetical nows. And this rich layering of time, this is what makes humans so nuanced and complex and fascinating. And as we come to learn what is happening under the hood and we get better at taking advantage of these mechanisms, that gives us a small grip on a very powerful tool to navigate ourselves in the direction of who we would like to be. Go to eagleman.com slash podcast for more information and to find further reading. Send me an email at podcast at eagleman.com with questions or discussion, and I'll be making an episode soon in which I address those. Until next time, I'm David Eagleman, and this is Inner Cosmos. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book using our exclusive budget beach finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Hyatt Ziva Riviera Cancun at CheapCaribbean.com. That's CheapCaribbean.com. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.